Welcome to Pop Culture Retro, which was recently voted the 15th best podcast by the residents of the Golden Years Retirement Community in Boca Raton, Florida. Each show, we'll revisit some of your favorite pop culture memories with insider and outsider perspectives. Now, please help me welcome your hosts, Ike Eisenman and Jonathan Rosen. Hello and welcome to another edition of Pop Culture Retro. Today we are thrilled to welcome a designer, photographer, multi-published author, and someone who started one of the most beloved sitcoms of the 90s, and she's a fellow New Yorker, Daphne Maxwell-Reed. Daphne, thanks for joining us today. Uh, thank you for having me. Thank you very much. Well, to, to start with, since I love talking to people from my neck of the woods, let's talk New York. Okay. <laughs> what, part, yeah, what part did you go you up want in? me to do it with my New York accent, <laughs> or what do you want me to do? Well, <laughs> I do it all the time. So. <laughs> <laughs> what part did you grow up in? I grew up in Manhattan on the west side in the Amsterdam houses right across from where they built Lincoln Center. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I love that part of town. I really love that part of town. My God. I used to work there, actually, right around Lincoln Center. Oh, <laughs> it was cool. One of, you know, it was one of my first uh, regular jobs out <laughs> there. Uh, where did you work? Uh, GHI, which is a health insurance company. Gotcha. It was a big one. Memory <laughs> Lane is always lovely. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> That's usually what the show's about, for sure. <laughs> yeah. um, and just to start off, you you grew up in an artistic family. Your father was very into photography. I, well, I understand. And not that... very into photography. But oh no, a lot of pictures of us. <laughs> oh, see, I see. My father was the same way. He documented my life back in the day when people didn't really do that. So we kind of have that in common. But I'm just wondering, did he pass that love onto you or that interest onto you? Is that where you got it from or? Well, he gave us a camera when we were young. So I've always had a camera uh -huh. and I always liked pointing it at stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I really didn't start my photographic journey till I turned 60 years old. Oh my gosh. But oh my I gosh. have been That's awesome. pictures my whole life. Uh -huh. um, and I realized by the time I was 60, uh, my friends, who had seen all my travel photos said, you should be hanging in a gallery. And I'm going, oh, please, you got to be a photographic artist to do that. And they said, yeah. and uh, sir, uh, what, what? Oh, I said, oh, okay. So on my 60th birthday, I declared, I am a photographic artist. Awesome. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I began the journey and it, it was, oh gosh, it's been a thrilling journey. I've learned so much. I've done so many things that mm. just came out of the lens of my camera. It's just mm. been a great, great journey for me. Well, just yeah. nostalgically, I like, to, I like to, especially someone who shot with a film camera, how unbelievably wonderful is it to just be able to pull that thing out and shoot all you want and not have to think about it <laughs> no dark rooms for me oh man i remember i just remember it's like 36 you got 36 images in one roll you got to be very judicious about what you're going to take a take right. an image of right and so now and it's all it's all different it to kodak so they can yeah. develop oh. it and then yeah. they print it it takes weeks oh yeah <laughs> Oh my God, and it's expensive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How about your mom? Was she into any artistic endeavors? Oh yes, she was a dressmaker. Oh, she wow. could whip up an outfit. It, she was a beautiful seamstress. And she used to do them for, she used to make wedding gowns 
for folks who really couldn't afford them, mm-hmm. <laughs> but she just loved to see them happy. So she made them beautiful wedding gowns. She, ah, she taught me to sew when I was hmm, six, seven years old. And so in my life, I have always had, since I was about six, I've always had a camera, a sewing machine, and a computer. Mm. Wow. <laughs> <That's great. laughs> well, what, what age did you um, find yourself getting interested in acting? Well, I started in high school. I was um, playing on Saturday afternoons with uh, Robert Hooks and the group theater workshop, which later became the Negro Ensemble Company. And I just thought it was a hoot, but there were no examples for me to see of a black woman who could make a living doing that. Mm. So that's not what I was aiming for. I said, I go to college, use my head. And um, then I uh, got discovered to be a model And then modeling led to commercials and then commercials led to Robert Conrad discovering me in Chicago. Ask about him. (laughs) I'm doing a a little TV show called The Duke and I want you to play a part. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I had been modeling for years and I had been doing uh, commercials for a long time. So I knew how to speak. I knew how to walk <laughs> and um, I figured I, I've got some acting chops from high school. So I just paid attention to everything that was going on around me. And I learned a lot and had a great time with him. And when I left Chicago and went to Los Angeles, the first person I called, hello, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he was doing another show called um, A Man Called Sloan. Mm-hmm. And he says, Daphne, you're here? I said, yes, I'm in LA now. And he says, okay, uh, go see this guy. He's going to be your agent. I got a part for you in this show. And I started working. Well, I just want to go touch quickly on Robert Conrad. I mean, he was, you know, that was since that was your first part. He had this like image of like, you know, this real tough guy and everything. So what was he like in, in person? He was with you? real tough guy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he was a sweetheart. We had a great time together. He and I teased about Northwestern. I don't know whether he went to Northwestern or not, but he used to, he knew that I had been the first black homecoming queen there. Right. So he used to call me Queenie. <laughs> and I'm going, man, no. <laughs> but I guess I learned well because I just kept working and the opportunities kept showing up and I was prepared for them. So. My life has been a wonderful journey of opportunity and adventure and well, success. You, you mentioned you mentioned that you were the first black homecoming queen. You were also the first black woman to be on Glamour magazine, which was can seems incomprehensible for as long time that it's been been around. I mean, yeah. were you aware of that at the time, or you just found that out afterwards? After. I didn't find it out. I didn't know I was going to be on the cover until I saw it on the newsstand. <laughs> I had just been taking pictures. I was flying from Chicago to New York back and forth while I was at Northwestern. And if you want to really feel bad, let me tell you, it was United Airlines student fare round trip, $25. Oh, wow. (laughs) 
So I was crazy. flying back and forth between classes, going to New York, taking pictures, <laughs> paying me to smile. I, okay, this is fun. Well, I was... had no idea that I was going to continue doing that until I graduated from school and registered with agencies in Chicago and kept hmm. doing it. Well, what, uh, um, what were some of your inspirations getting started in, in your career in acting? I like cash money. Oh, <laughs> that's always a good motivator. <laughs> My mother said from the time I was three years old, I always <laughs> needed to be on. <laughs> I was performing when I was three years old. So... I guess it was the innate ease of being able to earn this kind of money by doing something that was a lot of fun. And then knowing that I was learning as I was going and knowing what all the different departments were doing and how to best stand in a light so that the uh, cameraman can get the best shot I was learning as I was going, but it was such an education. It, I didn't know that I was going to make a life out of it. Mm. Now, you, you mentioned, I just want to go back to the thing. What was it like, you know, Robert Conrad calls you to come on the show. What was that like just to like, all of a sudden you're on a TV show with well, the Duke? I auditioned for it. Oh, okay. <laughs> like everybody else did. And um, when, the casting first came and the script first came to the agent. She read it and she said, oh, Daphne, you're not, you're not included in this. Uh, you haven't been hired. I said, oh, okay. And two days later, she said, Daphne, we got a rewrite and you were handwritten into this script. <laughs> and wow. I said, oh, nice. Yeah, Bob and I had a good conversation. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so that's how it happened. It was kismet. I know it was a blessing. It was nothing that I was striving to do. And I appreciate actors who dedicate their lives to doing performing and, and they have to get the right mm -hmm. job and do a wonderful job so they can continue their lives striving to be active. <laughs> I never had that desire. Till no, now. You, I want to work. I want to work. So what are your early roles? You are WKRP, which I love that show. So what, is that where you met uh, your husband, Tim? Well, no, I met him in Chicago and we were both married to other people. I mean, I'm did modeling with him, didn't oh, notice wow. him, he didn't notice me. Then <laughs> when I got out to LA, the Chicago bunch was hanging out and they said, oh, you remember Tim Reed? And I'm going, uh, vaguely. <laughs> and um, so he said, I, I gave him your number, told him you were in town. I said, okay, good, thank you. He called me, yeah, 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 let's, okay, we'll go out for a drink. <laughs> <laughs> and I always tease him because he uh, invited me to have a drink with him at what I considered a hooker bar. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> I'm thinking, hmm, I don't know about this guy. <laughs> the Sportsman's Lodge. Anyway, we had a five minute drink that lasted five hours. We laughed, we talked, we had breakfast and we've been together for 42 years. 
Mm. Which, which which should be double that in show business terms. <laughs> oh, it's 107. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Well, I'm I'm dying to ask you about Hill Street Blues, which is one of my oh, favorite shows yeah. of the 80s, and and you did a number of guest appearances on 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 that, and it was really a groundbreaking series at at, at the time because it had such a fresh, gritty kind of reality about it yeah. that um was was new. Was it different? Was there something different about working on that? show versus some of your other experiences given the the tone of the show Machko really had a, a kind of a hold on the whole time frame there and he was doing some really exciting things but I had been doing uh Hardcastle and McCormick and lots of other little shows that were going on a team and all of that and Hill Street Blues but I was also shooting um gritty uh, what do you call them? Music videos. Mm. So I was used to all the different environments. One thing that I had never um, done was live in, before a live audience um, sitcom. Even when I was on WKRP, which I was on twice, they shot it film style. Mm. So I didn't get to stand before a live audience until. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Wow. Wow. <clears throat> I, I did want to ask you about a couple of your other roles. And uh -huh. I remember I remember watching all of these the first time around. Okay, uh, the Wayback Machine. Here you <laughs> yes, go. Yes, exactly. Actually, all the ones I'm talking about, your Tim was in as well, but you had a recurring role on Simon and Simon. And I enjoyed that show. It was such a fun show. Uh, it was one of the shows that was almost canceled too early, actually, because, and it, I read that it was only until the Magnum PI crossover that that's when it started taking uh, people discovered it. What are your memories from that show, from Simon and Simon? I remember the writers and the producers were a lot of guys from WKRP who were all friends oh, of ours. Mm. <laughs> so when Tim was on that show, they said, ah, he needs a girlfriend. So they wrote me in. <laughs> I have the nicest friends. <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> but it was fun because um, Gerald and Jane, Jane, they were wonderful friends. And I mean, we hung out together, had dinners together. It was just a bunch of great people. That's, I, I still I still watch that show from time to time when I can find when I can find it you know around but uh and you had other shows that I loved you know and the, which also I felt were not given their chance to succeed with Frank's place for one and TV Guide has it listed on their shows that were canceled too soon how did that show come about well Tim was doing Simon and Simon mm -hmm. and Hugh Wilson who had created WKRP in Cincinnati um wanted to do a show together with Tim and they came up with this idea of a fish out of water. Tim's father had been in the club business in Chesapeake, Virginia. So he knew some stories about nightclubs and, and little homegrown restaurants and things like that. So they wanted to write uh, a story and do a story about Tim's culture. He had not seen on television people from his culture, uh, rich characters that were very integral to his growing up. Sure. So um, they decided to write it about New Orleans. And they went down to New Orleans and did some research and found some characters and found Shorty. And 
and they created this show that uh, CBS said, go. And it was the first half hour sitcom that did not have a laugh track. Really? It was shot film style as well, but it was a half hour show. It had a lot of mood, it had a lot of music, which is why you don't see it now is because the music's too expensive, they can't put it back out. Mm. But it was a rich show about a culture that had not been exposed on television before then. And while we were doing that show, uh, we went to New York to do some O&O stuff and to meet the people who were selling the show and all that kind of stuff. And we're sitting in BlackRock and they said, uh, William Paley wants to see you. Oh. <laughs> so we get debriefed and go up and see him. And um, we're sitting in his office. We were the only actors that had been there since Jackie Gleason show. <laughs> so mm. it was a while that he had spent any time with actors. And um, he very pointedly asked Tim, um, what's your purpose here with this show? Because I've watched it and I would have been very happy to have it on the network when I was running the network, which was kudos to us. It was just a wonderful thing to have said by that person, no other. But he asked him, what's your propaganda? Mm. And Tim realized that his propaganda was telling the stories of people that he knew that were not exposed on television. Wow. <laughs> A little gem. Yeah. yeah. But is it true that now, this is what I was reading, that Lawrence Tisch canceled the show because it offended him? One of the episodes offended Is that true? That's true. Wow. <laughs> and you know who told us? Walter Cronkite. Well, that was the next question. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. What was, it, what was it offended him? That <laughs> so we did a show, uh, one of the latest episodes. I mean, toward the end of the season, about a guy who sold junk bonds and uh, was talking about his grandfather. Um, made chairs and his father made chairs, but I don't make anything. I just trade things that really don't exist. And when it was a beautiful episode and I can't remember the actor's name, but you should look it up because he was such a fine actor. And um, I think uh, Larry Tish had been dealing junk bonds at the time <laughs> and did not appreciated being called out on it so wow we got picked up for the second season and then as we were going into wardrobe they said the show's been canceled oh oh my gosh it was so painful oh my gosh but after that and because of that we were able to negotiate a 13 uh 13 episode season <laughs> of snoops I was going to ask about that too. <laughs> yeah, Tim created and exec produced and wrote and starred in and directed and about took him out of this world. Um, 
but we knew get it now with Snoops. Thirteen's <laughs> all you got. And that but was kind of like payback for canceling the show. Which is totally amazing. But you mentioned Walter Cronkite. Did he, is it true that he actually tried to save the show? He did. Because they used to talk about Frank's Place when they had board meetings every week. They would talk about the episode of Frank's Place. Mm. And we found that very endearing that the CBS board of directors was busy watching television. (laughs) (laughs) They really loved the show and Walter Mm. loved the show. And um, he just took us by our arms and he said, we're going to meet here in the 21, have a seat. I'm going to tell you why it was canceled. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) Larry Tish said something vulgar. (laughs) <laughs> about Frank's place and then it was gone oh my god it's it's always amazing to me how tenuous um show business is I mean it, it it's like on, on the whim of someone's <laughs> wounded ego it's just boom gone over <laughs> Next. Yes, but being an actor you're kind of used to that because you have to wait to be chosen in the first place mm-hmm. I mean it doesn't you can't make a career on your own. You have to be in a position to answer the call when it comes, but you got to wait for the call. Yeah. Oh my gosh. A lot of people can't deal like that. (laughs) Yeah. I did want to ask about, you brought up Snoops also. I wanted to ask about, I I had loved that show. (laughs) Yes, it was was so much fun. (laughs) And it was, it had that great uh, Ray Charles, you know, the song at the beginning. And so why was that canceled? Because I remember that was one of the shows that was in the eighties. There were like several shows that were canceled and that I got upset about. That was one of them. (laughs) Excellent. It wasn't canceled. (laughs) We only had a 13 um so there was no order we knew it wasn't going any further than that really oh okay well that's 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 fascinating that's fascinating well moving on to um fresh prince fresh prince of bel-air hey we've gotten Um, to the 90s yeah oh yeah yeah we can we yeah we'll move along decade by decade um you originally been offered the part of no 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 Oh, no, no, I wasn't offered the part. No, 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 no. Oh. They asked me if I wanted to audition for the part. Ah, okay. Oh, okay. And they said it was a sitcom with a um, young rapper. And I said, bye. Oh, <laughs> wow. No, I didn't wow. even go to the audition. Oh, my God, I had, that's incredible. We had just done Frank's Place and Snoop's, and we did a talk show for 82 episodes for King World, and that didn't go we were tired and we were getting ready to move to Virginia. So Mm -hmm. I said, no, I don't want to do a sitcom with a rap star. (laughs) It's well, I got to say on its on, on its own as a pitch back in those days, it probably was not the most attractive pitch you you could possibly imagine, (laughs) but then, but then it turns into a hit. So did you regret that? (laughs) I saw the show and I said, Oh, Oh, that's cute. <laughs> uh, now I get it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the, well, I didn't pass up my chance the next time it came around. Right, so they mm. reached out to you the, again afterwards? Uh, again, they asked me to audition. Audition. Okay. Wow. Uh-huh. With 200 other women. Wow. <laughs> it took me two and a half weeks of auditioning. 
Oh, wow. And yeah. uh, the last few days and the last few, um, last few callbacks, I got to work with James Avery. Mm -hmm. We fell in love. Oh, we just clicked. Mm. And I guess they read the chemistry and that mm. I got the job. <laughs> <laughs> I was one happy camper. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. E even back then, and this is pre-social media days, but even back then, you heard all the stories about the, the drama going on. Like, well, at least I did. I mean, there. So I did. Like, you didn't really, because I remember that was like like in newspaper clips, like, you know, and like the, the page six type things. So was, was it nerve wracking at all for you to go in and replace someone else? I wasn't replacing her. I had a job. That's <laughs> <laughs> that, that was my, okay, I got this job. I don't know why she's not here. Mm. I asked James, I said, what happened? He said, we don't talk about it. I said, okay. <laughs> and it was done. I never talked about it again. Wow. I found out when we had the reunion in 2020. <laughs> oh my God. Otherwise, I had no idea. Incredible. Well, that's, I mean, that's a great way to handle it, but how did the rest of the cast treat you coming in? Like I was there the whole time. Oh, they knew me from my work before. So mm -hmm. they were, they said, honored to have me there. And they greeted me. I mean, Will gave me six dozen red roses in my room they hugged me i was <laughs> i was just thrilled to be there they were they have become family to me they That's are right. just we're very very close in a lot of different ways families all the family ties the births the the marriages the children growing up and all of that is all very integrally a family to all of us. And the reunion that we had was truly a reunion because we had not been all together hmm. at the hmm. same time. We had been in groups, but there was always somebody missing. Hmm. And uh, that was the first time we all got together at the same place, same time. Amazing. The, the show, but the show has such an enduring appeal. I mean, people still love it almost 30 years later there. What do you think it is about it that, that has, that people still love the show? Number one, it's Will Smith. And number two, it's a fish out of water story. And each of the characters in the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air came from a different point of view and had a different personality. So you got a rich amalgamation of all different viewpoints to an honestly loving family. A lot of people liked watching that and hoped that their family could make decisions <laughs> like, yeah, like the yeah. could. Um, we raised children, as they say, and we're on our third generation now of people who are coming up to me and saying, aren't you Aunt Viv? <laughs> Going, yeah, and you're only eight years old. <laughs> mm, wow. <laughs> I did want to, you mentioned him. You, I did want to ask about James Avery, who played Uncle Phil. He was one of those actors who just exuded warmth. I mean, what was he like in real life? He was a big, huggy bear of a guy who was brilliant. Mm -hmm. That man read and read and read, and he sat us all down on the couch and we shared philosophy and history and 
and theater and Shakespeare and he was brilliant. He loved music, loved jazz. He collected um, black memorabilia and he, he, he and his wife and my husband and I used to travel together. Oh, wow. And boy, he was big fun, big fun, larger than life and just as wonderful a person as you could ever help, uh, hope to meet. I think he was listed as one of the people, like, you know, they have these ranks of like TV dads that you wish were you like your own. And he's always, always, always on the list. <laughs> yes. Yes. He, he was a dear, dear man. <laughs> and you mentioned, let's go talk briefly. You know, you mentioned Will Smith, uh, you know, who Brilliant was actor. the star of the show. But at the time, right. At the time you just, you said it yourself. He was, he was known as a rapper. Did you see that explosion coming in, like in a few years, like that popularity? Yeah. By the time I got there, he had grown immensely from what I saw in the first episode, the first few episodes. Even he laughs about it now, mouthing everybody's words as they were saying them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he had grown past that by the time I got there. And I saw in him a man who gave 150% even in rehearsal. Mm -hmm. And he was also about the business of show business. He was very bright and I could see him plotting his career. Mm-hmm. And he just, I was so proud of him he, as he bloomed and became the movie star that he became. And it's, mm-hmm. he's still my little nephew, Will. <laughs> I adore him. Because <laughs> right after that, he became the guy. He was he the guy. was the guy. <laughs> the guy, and still the most wonderful friend that you can have. Mm. God, amazing! So you mentioned you mentioned the reunion, and, and and I believe you said that was the first time all of you got back together again. How much fun was that to do? Oh, it was a blast! <laughs> what Will Will's company set that up, and he decided that we should all stay in separate hotels so that we don't reunionize before we get on set. Oh, very clever. (laughs) And they, I mean, it was lavishly over the top. (laughs) 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 And we got to the set and we actually walked on stage to see everybody. And it was a reunion. It really, it was actually filmed as we were being reunionized. Mm. <laughs> wow. And it was just so much fun. And hearing the stories that we had never heard and uh, hearing about everybody's audition. And we saw a couple of auditions <laughs> that people had done. It, they, had, um, they were surprised to find out that I had never met Janet. No. Mm. And they said, oh. Will it be uncomfortable for you? I said, Why would it be uncomfortable for me? And I said, well, she's going to be on the set. I said, fine, I'll finally get to meet her. Mm. And um, I just greeted her. I told her, welcome home. <laughs> That's great. Now, you recently, you, you appeared in the reimagining in Bel Air. How surreal was that? I mean, was it just to be like seeing, seeing a different, because it's like, the same storyline, but it's different. It's vastly different, you know, theme oh, and everything. 
Yes, it's but beautiful because you get to see more about the characters themselves mm -hmm. rather than just the story that you can tell in a half an hour. So you can see the characters' backgrounds and where their point of view is coming from and how they were raised. It's uh, we're still wondering about Uncle Phil on <laughs> Bel Air. Where, where did he get all this money from? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, the cast was tremendous. I had seen a cut of the show before I got there and um, I was marveling at the talent that they had found to do these characters. And the cinematic quality of it is what really drew me to continue to watch it. It's beautifully shot, it's beautifully written. And I love that behind the camera, are a group of young black and white and Latino people who are making this happen. <laughs> and to see that behind the camera is something that we have always attempted to make happen and dreamed would finally come to fruition and it has. It, did the cast treat you like royalty, which they should? <laughs> I know, <laughs> it was kind of like, hey. <laughs> oh, 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 God, that's, that's oh, lovely to hear. Miss <laughs> Cassandra was just, I mean, she's such a beautiful woman. And I said, you are now Aunt Viv 3.0. <laughs> oh. And she said, I'll take it. <laughs> so that's what we call her. I'm 2.0, she's 3.0. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Now you and you and Tim built New Millennium Studios together, which was the largest independent studio outside of Hollywood, where I think Spielberg shot some of Lincoln. Um, that is absolutely amazing. What was it like to own and run a studio? <laughs> well, the first few years, <laughs> it was great. Because we had clients, we had projects to do, we were making our own movies, we were, um, we did a series for Showtime there that ran for two years starring Pam Greer. I mean, we oh, wow. had a great show. That was called Lynx, and that is a fabulous show. Mm. I wish that Showtime would put that out again, but <laughs> hey, oh, we'll wait. Um, tag them in this. <laughs> yes, tag them in this. Uh, <laughs> We had difficulty convincing the legislature in the state to understand what tax credits could do to help our business and the state's business in the film industry. Yeah. So all of our clients were going to Toronto and going to Georgia and going North Carolina. And I said, uh, we really need the tax credits here. We couldn't get them to do that. Mm. We got really tired of beating our head against the wall, trying to make it work without support from the benefits of tax credits and other investors and not having people come and recognize that we were a full service studio. I said, oh, those colored people are down there at the studio. You're not going down there, are you? Oh. We heard that so many times. Oh dear! So we didn't get the support that we really could have uh, used mm. to make that work. And we mm. couldn't get the people to work for us to bring projects so that we could grow the studio. So 
after mm, 15, 16 years, I said, I'm done. <laughs> and I sold the studio. That's a long haul. Do what That's you got to do. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I'm done. Wow. Oh, I, I want to transfer over into to my domain now, books. You're a multi-published author and renowned photographer now. You have several books which feature doors. And I was looking through them, just different places around the world, such as Belgium and France. Your work is incredible, absolutely incredible. To me, it's such a fascinating subject to capture. Uh, I have my own thoughts, but I want to hear from you. What is it about doors that inspires you? They're a metaphor for life. <laughs> they represent opportunity adventure curiosity and i like craftsmanship and color and texture and my degree from northwestern is in interior design and architecture so i'm always looking for the details and after realizing that i had spent years taking pictures of doors among other things i said oh why doors? And I had to figure out why I was so attracted to doors. But in that search and finding my reasoning for those doors, a whole, a whole journey opened up and I started doing large prints of doors. I took pictures of doors too. I said, and you didn't know what to do with them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, after the crash of 2008, anybody remember that one? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't yeah. sell these $200 prints anymore because uh, people were kind of yeah. tighter on their money. <laughs> so I developed note cards and I started selling note cards. And then I was talking to different uh, community groups about my journeys uh, all around the world to take these pictures. and. And I, you know, I'd be a guest speaker and I'd sell a few things. And I kept saying the same story over and over again. And I said, I'm gonna write this down. <laughs> and it became my first book. So I uh, took it to Simon and Schuster, a friend of mine introduced me to her um, editor. And he looked at it, my little mock-up of my book that I did on my computer. I was, okay, I'm gonna, gonna get me a book deal. <laughs> and he looked at it, he says, this is a good idea. Um, it's not something for a bookstore, it's something for a gift store. And he mm. says, and if you do this and you do this, and if you format it a little bit differently, and da, 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 I'm taking notes. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh. I went back and did everything that he said, and then I published it myself. Wow. Oh, my God. That's awesome. <laughs> I, I really do recommend whoever's watching this later, like to go get this book. This book, beautiful, beautiful photography in Thank there. You. And Lloyd, I love, I just love seeing the pictures. And uh, staying on books, you recently published a, a cookbook yeah. about, right, the uh, Great Soul great soul and Mother Wit cookbook. It's part memoir. And while writing it, did uh, stories come back to you that you had forgotten about, maybe? Yeah. And they're attached to each recipe. Each <laughs> recipe reminds me of somebody or some occasion where this was, oh, this is some good food. <laughs> we ate a lot of good food. So I had been collecting those recipes for like 40 years. And mm. every once in a while, Tim and I would do a little cookbook for Christmas presents 
We said, oh, okay, because I used to do dinner parties and things like that when I was younger. And um, so my girlfriend said, when are you gonna get that cookbook off your computer? And I said, I don't have a point of view yet. I'm not a chef. I'm not a trained cook. Uh, I can't be throwing a cookbook out saying, <clears throat> get my cookbook, why? <laughs> so I said, well, if I make it a mini memoir and do some stories, then I will, I'll go ahead and publish it. And that's what I did. Mm. That's a great way to combine the two, two genres. I mean, no, it's, it's an amazing, an yes. amazing idea for sure. Gosh, well, what are you, uh, what's up next for you? What are you working on now? Since COVID, <laughs> yes, and I couldn't do any more international travel because <laughs> of, can't go anywhere. I had to take the pictures that I had taken and see what else I could do with them. So I was okay. Oh. Thank you. I was <laughs> going to ask about those because they're stunning. Yes, those absolutely are stunning. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is a tote bag that I made. And of course, I, I had to have a signature lining, and it says Daphne style, and you know, Louis Vuitton did it. I did it too. So, <laughs> I've got my name in there, uh -huh. and I said I'm going to make these bags. I designed the fabric, I had it printed, and then I made the tote bags, and I sold three of them today. So, oh wow! Oh my wow! <laughs> um, that's what I like to do an expression of whatever my gift is uh, at a time. God gave me a lot of talents and I have to manifest these talents in order to honor God. So I have to sew, I have to do photography because he gave me those talents to share and I have to share them. So that's just part of my journey and I don't know where it's going next, but <laughs> I've been busy in front of the camera again. so. It's been hard to get some sewing done. Yeah. Well, that's a good problem to have. Yes, <laughs> you, you, no complaints from me. <laughs> do, do fans still reach out to you a lot? Yeah, 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 yeah. We, I would just moderated a panel this afternoon at a luncheon and I get these, I've always wanted to meet you. And I'm going, it's just Daphne. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, hi. <laughs> but I, it's amazing how much Fresh Prince of Bel-Air has affected people's lives. They tell me that they grew up following our advice. They grew up with Sister Sister and Tim <laughs> raising those teenage girls. He had one little girl well, one older girl now tell him, I was a foster child and I didn't have a parent who was guiding me. And I used to watch Sister Sister and I would do anything that you said I should do. That's oh, great. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Now that's how you affect people's lives with what you put on screen. So I have tried my best throughout my life to portray each character with dignity and integrity so that if they're going to emulate or use, for example, it's a good example for them to use. Absolutely. 
Mm. And we want to make sure now where can people follow you on social media so where they can also pick up these the bags and everything. <laughs> Only 25 of these bags. It's down to <laughs> about 20 now. <laughs> so um daphnemaxwellreed.com and mm. just hit daphne and it'll come up my <laughs> website's there and all the other things i do i also make coats oh great <laughs> <laughs> wow do a lot of things that just bring me joy fantastic as well you that's should. amazing that's amazing yeah. Daphne, thank you so much for joining us today. It was so much fun to get to talk to you. Absolutely. We're looking forward to this. So thank you so much. Again, uh, this has been Pop Culture Retro. I'm Jonathan Rosen, along with Ike Eisenman. And a very special thanks to Daphne Maxwell-Reed. Please subscribe. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Retro, where no one was hurt during the making of this podcast. 